We are in Numbers, and we're picking up um, where Frank left off, and so we're in Numbers 28, if you want to turn to that, and we will be picking up with verse 16. Numbers 28, picking up with verse 16. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name because there truly is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And I pray as we break open this portion of Scripture, Lord, that it would speak to our hearts and encourage our souls and just give us the strength to be your witnesses and your testimony everywhere we go. We thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit dwells within us and we have the absolute assurance of eternal life that to pass from this life is to be with you. And so, Lord, come and encourage us by your word. Fill us with uh, a special portion of your Holy Spirit that we might be re-energized to go out and to share our faith with the lost. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. <clears throat> you know, I think it's oftentimes very difficult for the creature to understand the purpose of the infinite God. You know, we're creatures, and we have an infinite God who created us. And sometimes I think it's difficult for us to really recognize and understand what our purpose is. But we have to realize that God created us in his image, body, soul, and spirit. And for this reason, we have been called to have fellowship with him. That we have no greater purpose as believers than to have fellowship with him. Oftentimes you ask people, what's the number one responsibility of a Christian? To share our faith. Well, that's probably number two. But the number one responsibility of a Christian is to worship their God. You understand that there is a creator God. And we were created for one purpose, to have fellowship with him. You know, so many people, I think they, <clears throat> excuse me, they misunderstand and they think, well, what about this and what about that and what about all these theories of evolution and what about all these theories of that? They're, they're silly. People ask me, how do I know there is a creator God? Because I'm here. I'm here. I exist. So the fact that there is an eternal God who always was is a whole lot easier for me to believe than, you know, than the fact that there was absolutely nothing and it became everything. That makes absolutely no sense at all. But to know that there is a God in heaven who created me exactly as I am, he anointed and called me to do his work as he has each one of you as believers. To me, that's easier to understand than a lot of the silliness, <clears throat> you know, we see in the world. And uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, the Lord's desire, of course, as I mentioned, for all of us is to be in intimate relationship with him, you know, as individuals, not only as a body, but as individuals. Because we know the whole is made up of what? Remember that? Of, many, of its many parts. The whole is made up of its many parts. But I want to share with you um, the fact that even though we are many parts of the whole, each part is the very reason God gave his life on the cross that each one of us might have individual relationship with him. Because it says, individuals, we come together collectively, making up the body that makes this such a special time of gathering. That's why the Lord commanded that we gather together at least once a week 
as a body for the purpose of worshiping him. Now, in order to show you that God created us to have intimate fellowship with him, I'd like you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. That's the first book of the Bible, and it's the third chapter. That's a joke. Okay. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> Excuse me, go to verse 8. And this is Adam and Eve. Remember, Adam and Eve had sinned. And uh, God said to them, you know what? All of paradise is yours. It's all yours. I just give you one command. Don't eat from the tree in the center of, gar of, of the garden, knowing good from evil. They had one command. And, of course, they fell. And because of the fall, when Jesus was coming in the garden to have fellowship with them, they were afraid, it tells us. And they hid from him. And we'll read that right now. In Genesis chapter 3, verses uh, 8 through 9, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam, and he said to him, Where are you? The Lord still desires to have fellowship with his creatures, with his creation, his special creation. And what separated Adam and Eve from having the kind of fellowship with God that he desired was sin. <clears throat> they sinned, and therefore they hid from him. But God called out to them, where are you? And God still cries out to mankind, where are you? And the only thing that separates us from God is sin, still to this day. But, of course, we have something so special that the Lord has given us in Jesus Christ. And that is the ability, <clears throat> excuse me, to confess and to repent of sin. Hey, Vi, would you hand me the little spray bottle? I'm sorry. <clears throat> Don't look at the man behind the curtain. <laughs> okay, here we go. <clears throat> Thank you, darling. And so we have to understand the most important privilege that we have is to be in fellowship with God. Now, one of the things that becomes obvious as we study these feasts that we're going to be looking at in just a moment is that they were all set, they were all given to set aside a time when God's creatures could come into his presence through certain offerings. Now, one of the things, of course, that we're going to find interesting as we continue looking into this is that there are actually different kinds of offerings that were given. There were, there were some offerings that were given just for the people to be thankful for the Lord. But there were other offerings that were to be given for peace offerings, for fellowship offerings, you know, for the offering of, of you know, forgiveness of sin, for God to be able to come and have his full relationship with us. So you see, it goes both ways. Because God has atoned for all of our sins and has come down and, by his Holy Spirit and created full fellowship with man, we're now able to reach out to him and praise him and thank him. Fellowship always goes both ways. But we have to understand, it wasn't man first reaching to God, it was God reaching down to man. For God sent his only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Now we can have that relationship with him. 
You know, um, all of these particular feast days that were given were given for the very purpose of encouraging man in his relationship with his God. I mean, these feast days were very important to the Jews, and they always pointed, all the feasts pointed to the finished work of Jesus Christ. I mean, every feast that we, in fact, in the next um, book, we're going to be getting into more detail on these feasts. Every single feast was pointing to Jesus Christ and the fact that he would not only atone for our sins, but he would give us the ability to have fellowship with him by his Holy Spirit. And that's the reason that you and I are to come together as believers. You know, it's, it's commanded of God to come together as believers to worship him. And I love what Aristotle said. He said, the whole is more than the sum of its parts. You probably all remember that from philosophy class that you took. But the, the, the fact is that God wants us to worship him individually, but when we come together as a whole, there's something bigger there. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, we love having our fellowship and worship times with the Lord at home. And in fact, sometimes we feel his presence so powerfully, it just overwhelms us. But boy, when we come together as a fellowship, as a body, to worship him, there's something even greater than the whole. Because I think there's such a moving of the Holy Spirit among us, between us, and also from God. It's absolutely amazing. Now, there's only one day. You know, we don't have all these feast days that we have to follow. Okay, what feast day is this? You know, you get in my calendar. What's going on next? We only have one day that the Lord has called us to celebrate him. Only one day that God has ordained for us to worship him. And I love that uh, the Apostle John, we assume he was about 90 years old when he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. It was a prison island right off the coast of Turkey. Now, the Isle of Patmos was, he was there. It was in prison for him. I mean, he was, he was there because it tells us of the word of God. Because of his preaching of the word of God, he was sent there. And let's read what it says here in Revelation chapter 1 and verses 9 through 11, if you want to turn there. It's been real easy. I've had you turn to the first book of the Bible. Now you're turning to the last book. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 1 and verses 9 through 11. I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience in Jesus Christ was on the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. In other words, that's why he was exiled there, because he was preaching the word and he testified that Jesus Christ was the only Savior. Verse 10, <clears throat> look what he says. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. John wrote this as an introduction to the whole revelation that he was given. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, if you take notes, write this down. It says this, And let us consider one another in order to stir up good works. Now notice how this starts, because we all know the second part of this portion that I'll be reading, but notice how it starts. <clears throat> it starts off by saying, and let us consider one another. 
So when we come to church, it's not just for our own benefit to worship the Lord, but considering one another. And this is what it goes on to say in in, uh, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see that day approaching. There's only one day that God has set aside for the church. That's a special day. It's not Christmas. It's not Easter. We celebrate those, and it's wonderful. But there's only one place in Scripture that the Lord set aside for us as believers, and that's his day, the Lord's day, the first day of the week. He rose from the dead on the first day of the week. The Jews worshiped on the last day of the week because that's when God finished his work of creation, and and he rested, and the Jews celebrated that. But for we as believers, as Christians, we celebrate the first day of the week. That's the day Jesus rose from the dead. It's interesting, that's the day that male child is to be circumcised as well. And so God has given us this command that we're to come together. And this is the reason, you know, just to be honest with you and sharing with you from my heart, it it really concerns me that there are so many churches that have just stayed closed. It really bothers me, and I'll tell you why. You think of the churches all over the world that are being burnt down, they're being persecuted in ways we can't even imagine, tortured, killed, because they believe in Jesus Christ. And so many people are afraid to come to church because of a virus. Now, here's the thing. If you're sick, you shouldn't come to church. Whether it's COVID-19, whether it's the common cold, or, you know, whatever it might be, strep throat, you shouldn't come to church if you're sick and spread it to others. But on the other hand, I mean, it seems to me that if we have the conviction that this is the Word of God commanding us to come together, and all the more as we see that day approaching, and it is approaching, then we need to have more fortitude, more courage. And I'm not talking about forcing people or making anyone feel guilty. I believe it has to be from a person's own heart. I really do. But I'm just saying, I mean, there's many people here who have served in the military and have gone to other parts of the world, and believe me, they were going there for one reason, that they believed in our nation. And they were risking their lives on a daily basis. Personally, I don't believe coming to church is risking our lives as long as we take, you know, whatever precautions. I mean, if you're sneezing and coughing back there, I want you to leave. (laughs) And if you're sneezing and coughing, don't come up and ask me a question. I mean, I think you've got to be logical about it as well. But the reality is we shouldn't be afraid to come together. I mean, all these feast days were about worshiping the Lord, setting apart, setting aside a time to worship Him and to have fellowship with Him. And we have the Lord's Day. We have church. It's the one day we have. Now, in Numbers 28, and there's no politician and there's no law that overrides the Word of God. And we just read we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Now, and I'll get clicks and emails and all kinds of stuff for having said that. But I'm sharing what the Word of God says and what the Lord, the Holy Spirit, has put on my heart. Numbers chapter 28, we're starting with verse 16, picking up where Frank left off. 
On the 14th day of the first month is the Passover of the Lord. And on the 15th day of this month is the feast. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. On the first day, you shall have a holy convocation. That's a, a gathering, a worship time for the Lord. And you shall do no customary work. And you shall uh, present an offering made by fire as a burnt offering to the Lord. Two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year. Be sure they are without blemish. You know, Jesus was without blemish. God offered up for himself his best. And we should give the Lord our best. We should always be giving the Lord our best. <clears throat> Verse 20. Uh, their grain offering shall be a fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah you shall offer for a bull and two-tenths for a ram. You shall offer one-tenth of an ephah for each of the seven lambs, also one goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. You shall offer these besides the burnt offerings of the morning, which is for a regular burnt offering. In this manner, you shall offer the food of the offering made by fire daily for seven days as a sweet aroma to the Lord. It shall be offered besides the regular burnt offerings and its drink offerings. And on the seventh day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall, once again, do no customary work. <clears throat> also on the day of the first fruits, when you bring in new grain offerings to the Lord... Uh, as a feast of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. Uh, you shall present a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord. Two young bulls, one ram, several lambs in their first year, uh, with their grain offerings of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah of each, for each bull, two-tenths for one ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Also, one kid of the goats to make atonement for you. Be sure they are without blemish. blemish. You shall present them with their drink offering besides their regular burnt offerings uh, with its grain offering. Now, the first one that's mentioned here is the Passover. We have to celebrate this time of Passover. It's very significant because if we, if we remember going back to Exodus, the Passover was given by God to cover over the sin of the people that he might be able to be with them. And we all know from Exodus, what were they to do? They were to take a lamb and slaughter it, take its blood Put it on hyssop. We've seen it in Israel. Hyssop is like a plant that has almost like a cup on it. And when you dip it in the blood, it holds it in like with capillary action. And it holds it in. And then they were to take it and they were to put it on the lentils and doorposts of their house. So that when the angel of death came over, when he saw the blood of the lamb, he passed over and the people were saved. You and I are to take the blood of the lamb of God and allow it to be sprinkled on the lentils and doorposts of our heart so that when the angel of death comes, it'll pass over us and we will have that assurance of everlasting life with God. It is appointed unto every man once to die physically, just once, to die physically. 
But for you and I as believers, we're going to, or you will find, as you, if you study the end of Revelation, we as believers, books are going to be, are going to be opened. And anyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life shall be cast into the lake of fire, which is called the second death. And if our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, we have eternal life in the new kingdom. And so just like with the Passover, you and I have been sprinkled. We have been sprinkled with the blood of the Lamb. Well, how are we sprinkled with the blood of the Lamb? By saying, Jesus, forgive me a sinner. Jesus, I believe you are exactly who you say you are. Come and dwell in my heart. Take over my life. Lord, I want to live for you. Man, you're sprinkled with the blood. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I have no fear of death. Physical death is just an illusion. Our body is no longer functioning, but we're with the Lord. Because we're body, soul, and spirit. We have this body, and we have a soul, which is our personality, who we are. It's our self-identity. Now, you understand in heaven, you will have self-identity. You'll know who you are. You shall know, Scripture says, and be known. Like, we're not going to all go to heaven, and, and I'll be saying, well, let's see, uh, you look familiar. What's your name again? Vi. It's not going to be like that. And when we get to heaven, I'm going to know my wife. We're going to know one another. We're going to know David. We're going to know all the patriarchs of the Bible. But most of all, we're going to know Jesus. Can you imagine? Read Revelation. That day when we stand before the throne and the Lamb of God is going to be sitting there. Wow. It's going to be absolutely amazing. In Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 through 15, it says this. Write this verse down if you don't have it. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? This is after the rapture, and we're coming, and we're before the, before the Lord. Look what it says. And where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. That was uh, John's way of saying, I really don't know, but you do. <laughs> you know, so... He, the angel, said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Wow. The reality is, we're going to come out of the tribulation. And we have to realize that God's wrath is going to be poured out on this planet Earth. Pray that you're counted worthy to escape the things that are coming upon the face of the whole earth. He has not appointed us to wrath, but to eternal life. So we're going to be taken out of the world before all this happens. And brothers and sisters, I don't think any one of us can turn on our, on our TV, can look at a newspaper, if any of you still do. I actually get a newspaper, but uh, if you do look at a newspaper, and you see everything that's going on in the world and you realize, wow, things are crazy. But here's the thing. Don't put your focus on all the craziness of the world because all, all it's doing is pointing us to the fact he's coming soon. He's coming soon. You know, there should be wars and rumors of wars. Men will be lovers of self rather than lovers of God, disobedient, selfish, liars. Does that sound familiar? And I'm not just talking about politicians. But, 
<laughs> you know? So we have, to, we have to understand that everything that the Bible says is going to be taking place before he returns, it's already in place. I mean, just look at the ability computers have to control our lives. Do you know what I mean? I'll tell you what. If the computer system, if the, I don't know what they call it, the whole internet system goes down, what are you going to do with your credit card? <laughs> what, what, what use will it be to you? So we have to understand that things are very precarious in our, in our world. With all the technology and all the improvements of knowledge that have been developed, it brings us closer to the coming of the Lord. And so we have to realize that day is so near at hand. And I don't know if I already shared this with you. Uh, if I didn't, you know, be very gracious and pretend I have never shared it. But uh, if, if I have shared this with you, last week, Vi and I watched, uh, you know, Amir Sarfati. He is, uh, if you don't know who he is, he was our, our guide three different times, times when, we were, when we were in Israel. He's a lieutenant colonel in the IDF, and he is a believer. He actually came to the Lord when he was 17. And um, he grew up in foster homes, which is very unusual for a Jewish kid in Jerusalem to grow up in a foster home. But um, he had, he, when he got saved, he said, Lord, please allow one of my foster brothers to be saved so we can have fellowship. But don't let it be, and he named a certain guy who he had fistfights with every day. He said, don't let it be him. Guess who got saved? <laughs> and they're like brothers. They, every single day they talk to one another on the phone. But anyway, Amir had, has started a prophetic ministry. It's called Behold Israel. If you don't have it, you can find it on your phone. You can find it on YouTube. And um, then there's also Jan Merkel, and she's in the United States, in Minnesota, I think, is it? And uh, she has a, a ministry called Olive Tree Ministry. She has the largest prophecy conferences in, 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 the, in the country. And she has Amir come and speak. So they came on together. And by the way, Jan is also a Jew and a believer. And she said, you know, people always talk about the fact that we're in the last hour. She said, I no longer believe we're in the last hour. She said, I believe we're in the last moments. I mean, all you have to do is look around at our nation and you see how, how quickly everything could fall apart, right? Lawlessness will abound, Scripture says, just before the coming of the Lord. It's absolutely amazing. Now, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, it says this. Your, your glorying is not good, glorying in yourself. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ... Our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Leaven always represented sin. And that's the reason the Jews, right after the Passover, they had this feast of unleavened bread, it was called, where they went through the entire house and removed all leaven because spiritually it was a representation of sin. Well, you and I are a new lump. I don't know about you, but 
when I got saved, I needed to have sin forgiven. I don't know if there's anyone here who was born without sin and has never sinned in your life. Raise your hand and we'll have you commit it. But um, we all know we're sinners. We all know that we're full of leaven. But Jesus Christ has come and he's made us a new lump, it tells us here. He's removed and taken our sin as far from us as the east is from the west. And you know what I love? It says he remembers them no more. When you confess and repent and God forgives you, your sin is gone. He remembers them no more. And we shouldn't be pointing out anyone else's sin either. Because if God doesn't remember their sin, why should we? Who are we? You follow what I'm saying? Now, the next day after the Passover began, began the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it lasted for one week. Now, one week in, in Scripture, seven days in Scripture, is always the number of completion. That's what it represents, the number of completion or the number of perfection. And as you and I are saved by the blood of the Lamb, we are to live a life of completion in Him, having victory over sin. Now, it doesn't mean we never sin, but it's talking about having victory over sin. And there's a huge difference. Because before we, we were saved, we might have had certain areas that we really had a problem with. For instance, just as a, an example, and not trying to... But anyway, I used to have a drinking problem. I've been saved for a long time, so you don't have to worry. Okay. But I, I used to have a drinking problem. And the reality was that when I gave my life to Jesus Christ... I knew it was wrong, but there was a struggle. I didn't get saved one day and never drank again. I got saved, and there was a struggle. And so it didn't mean during that time of struggle that I wasn't purified by the blood of the Lamb. I was. But during the process of confessing and repenting and growing in the Lord, there was that one day he gave me victory where I was able to step away from alcohol and never drink again, which is good because he called me into the ministry and, and a, a pastor is not to be given to wine, period. It actually talks about the elders and, and deacons and deaconesses. It says they're not to be given to much wine. In other words, there's nothing wrong with having a drink, but you don't get drunk. Drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But as a pastor, I'm supposed to step aside a little bit further Maybe for an example, or for my own commitment to the Lord, I don't know. Now, <clears throat> this is not suggesting in any way, this portion that I just read, that any of us can come to a place of having Christian perfection, 100% victory over sin, where I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and I have never committed a willful sin again since that day. Well, you're just putting a burden on yourself that's too huge and hard for you to handle. Because if you really believe that, then the time you sin, when you fall, you're going to feel awful, and you're going to feel like such a, a, a traitor to the Lord. But the reality is, I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord, we have to have that heart of confession and repentance. There's not a day that goes by that at the end of the day, I, I sit with Vi and I say, you know what, honey? I haven't sinned once today. Haven't had... Thought, mind, or deed, haven't sinned once. Because if I said that to her, she probably would uh, have me committed. But uh, the reality is, 
we can be free of sin because of the gift of confession and repentance. You guys all know my favorite verse, 1 John 1, 9. If, that's a conditional conjunction. In other words, it's a requirement. You have to confess. In other words, I have to recognize this is wrong. And the minute we start making excuses for what we're doing, we're not saying this is wrong. Whenever you say, well, I know I did it, but you're not confessing, you're not admitting anything. You're making excuses. I sin, period. God forgive me a sinner. Because it says, if we confess our sin, he, the Lord God in heaven, is faithful. And when he's faithful, he's faithful completely to forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's amazing. That's what's being talked about here. Now, you notice there's a number of times that it's mentioned here that they were to do no customary work. A lot of people have gotten very legalistic. Now, church is a requirement, according to the Word of God, but it's not a, like a, a mortal sin. You, you miss church because someone's sick or because you're taking care of family or because you have a family gathering and you're driving. It's not a mortal sin. You know, you, 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 if you are able to be in church, you be in church. If there are reasons you can't, you can't. That's fine. But, and, and this is the thing that's so important for us to understand, is that a lot of people took it to a legalistic place and said, well, this is the Lord's Day, Sunday, and we are not to do any work. So I'm just going to sit here with my Bible in my hand, with my leg crossed, and, and in my screen room, and I'm not going to do anything. That's not what it says here. It says you're not to do any customary work. Maybe for you, after church, uh, the way to relax is to go out to the golf course, to walk the Erie Canal, to ride a bike, to do dirt bike, whatever it is. That's your rest. That's your relaxation. It says to do no customary work. In other words, what you normally do all week. Now, <clears throat> the only requirement for a believer on this day, as I mentioned, is to gather together. But the one requirement that every believer should have every day, and that is always to honor God in their heart always to honor the Lord in their heart and in their life. And sometimes that's not easy. And especially if you're a man and you're driving down Kirkville Road where the speed limit's 45, the average person does 20, and, you know, and you get frustrated and, and they pull out and people, someone pulls out in front of you, yeah! Well, <laughs> that's not really carrying the Lord in your heart. And so we have to understand that there really needs to be a willingness for us to be continually surrendering to the Lord. God, forgive me, a sinner. You know, I, I love the example we have of when Jesus was crucified, and he was crucified between two thieves. We both know that. And the one thief just was hurling insults, it says, at the Lord. And it says, if you really are the Son of God, then come down from that cross and save us too, free us. And the other thief said, you know, Lord, please, when you come into your kingdom, you know, remember me. And he confessed Christ. And Christ said to that thief, he said, this very day you'll be with me in paradise. He was forgiven. 
You talk about last hour conversion. He's hanging on the cross dying, and he confessed Jesus, and he was forgiven. And the other guy just wanted Jesus to do things for him. We don't come to the Lord because we want him to do things for us. Well, I'll tell you what. If you become a Christian and you come to our church, we can guarantee you that you're going to have prosperity beyond your imagination. And also, on top of that, you're never going to get sick. We're going to be able to promise you that. Where did that come from? You know, the health and wealth doctrine is not found anywhere in Scripture. We have believers all over the world understand they're being persecuted. We have more believers being put to death for their faith than we had during the Inquisition. Every day, men and women. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs of what took place in the past and also The Voice of the Martyrs. It's a magazine that you can get today, right now, and find out about believers all over the world who are being persecuted for their faith, put to death. But you and I, we have that assurance to be absent from this body. Man, we're going to be with the Lord. And then the next uh, feast we have, the Feast of Weeks, also called the, fe uh, the Feast of First Fruits, or the Feast of Pentecost, because it took place 50 days after the Passover. That was the day of Pentecost. And probably most of us know that was the day the Holy Spirit was given, was poured out on the church. Turn to, uh, with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And we're going to start with verse 1. Acts chapter 2. And we're going to start with verse 1. <clears throat> Pentecost, you know, means 50. And it was 50 days after the Passover. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, these were believers. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing wind, and it filled the whole home where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we understand at that time, the Holy Spirit came on the church. We're under, under, we have to realize we're born again of the Spirit. If you're a born-again Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the singular Godhead. And um, listen to this. We were born again of the Spirit, right? We are sealed by the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. We're comforted by the Spirit. And we worship in the Spirit. And you can find all that in Scripture. All three persons of the singular God participated in our salvation, our sanctification, and our eventual glorification. And um, our salvation is when we're born again. Our sanctification is we're being pured by the Holy Spirit before the Lord. And glorification is when we're with the Lord. Now, in Matthew chapter 28... And verses 19 and 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, listen, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And, in the, and that's amen. And it means so be it. And um, so you think about it. God the Father 
sent God the Son as an atonement for all of our sin, past, present, and future, for all who would believe and receive his free gift of salvation. God the Son sent the Holy Spirit for our salvation, sanctification, and glorification. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says this, For he himself has said, I will not leave you nor forsake you, because he sent us his Holy Spirit. Notice that in this portion we just read, no peace offerings are mentioned in this chapter, because peace offerings were for the benefit of, um, of the one offering it. You know, it was our way of, of um, repenting. But all the offerings we're looking at here are from God to us for our forgiveness, for our salvation, for our sanctification. And so for us, it's like offering a sacrifice of praise, what we're reading about here, and worship for our great God and to our great God and for his atoning work. And for me, it seems like um, it's easy for us to confess and repent, right? Oh, God, forgive me, I did this and that. Oh, God, forgive me, I did that, this and that. Oh, Lord, I don't know how you put up with me. Lord, if I, you know, if I was you, I wouldn't like me. You know, those kind of things. We're always confessing and repenting. But how much, how much time do we spend in praise and worship? We should spend a lot more time in praise and worship. Because when you confess and repent, you're forgiven. That's it. It's over with. He remembers it no more. Now move on. Move on to what? To worshiping the Lord. But I think there's um, a real lacking among most believers, to spend time in praise and worship. Thank you. Do you ever think of, of all Jesus has done for you? I mean, all that we have. Life can be tough at times. I'm not naive. There are times life is very difficult. And for those of you who are a little bit older, you know sometimes as we get older, we get tired a lot easier. Life can become much more difficult as you get older. But the reality is we all have a lot to praise God about. We all have a lot to worship the Lord about. Thank you, Jesus, for my salvation. Thank you, Lord, for the way you've, you've worked in my heart and life. Thank you, Lord, for the way you've worked in our church. You know, when, when I pray at night, I pray for you as a body. You guys are such a blessing to me, every one of you. You know, one of the reasons I, I mean, I'm not saying I'd, I'd be opposed, whatever the Lord wants to do, he can do, but one of the reasons I've always enjoyed having a smaller church, like I look out here, I know all of you. I've talked to every one of you. And I still like you. <laughs> but you understand my point. I know all of you. But you, you know what I'm saying? I would not want to be in a position where I don't know most of the people or half the people in the church. I wouldn't like that. I like having this personal communion with you. And the reason is, is because I can fellowship with you and share things with you that maybe you need to hear. You can fellowship with me and maybe share things with me that I need to hear. We're a body. I'm your pastor, but we're a body. I've, called, I've been called to shepherd you, but I've also been called to have fellowship with you and to love you, and I do. Father, thank you for this portion of Scripture and for the fact that you have laid out all these feast days for us to study as an understanding of all, of all that you have done for us. And now, Father, I pray that you would come by your Holy Spirit and minister your truth to each one of us. 
And Lord, if there is anyone here, anyone, Lord, who could not really say that they're born again of the Spirit, could not really say that they're saved, I pray this would be the day of their salvation. Lord, put it in their hearts just to confess and repent and ask you to take over their lives. It's that simple, Lord. And I pray that if there's anyone who came in here today that didn't know you, that wasn't born again, they wouldn't leave here without knowing you and being born again of the Spirit. And I pray and ask all this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And God bless you, my brothers and sisters.